Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are my two esteemed co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. There he is. So we are back from a little bit of uh, a, a silence. We were MIA for a while. I think it's called a hiatus. Well, for you guys, it's called a vacation. Yes, it was yeah. a vacation. You're in Alaska. Alaska's awesome. Tiff was at band camp. It is not band camp. It's orchestra camp. There's a difference. And that difference is? We play orchestra instruments at orchestra camp. Okay, so Tiff was at orchestra band camp. Uh, so <laughs> I think we usually start this show with uh, a little bit of our info. So if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can always shoot us an email at podcastandnonsensicalgamers.com. You can hit us up on the Facebook or Twitter uh, by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers, or you can join the conversation over on our BGG Guild, number 2077, uh, and, you know, post, let us know what's going on, chat with us. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get into today's show, episode 26. We have some cool things lined up. We have another new mini-segment um, about kids' games that adults love, and then we have an interview with Brandon Parsons from Blue Orange Games, chatting a little bit about kids' games, uh, kids' games, family games, and kind of Blue Orange as a whole, as well as a little bit about Gen Con, just for fun. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about what we've been playing lately. We've had plenty of weeks to play some games. Tiff, tell me you got in something. Well, um, while I was at orchestra camp, some of the directors uh, like to get together because we have kids staying overnight. So once we put them to bed, we get some games out. And they're usually social games, which is kind of weird for me. But it's the only instance where I feel truly comfortable playing a social game. So we got Spyfall out. And we actually ended up playing it. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Every night. We played it every night. And I feel better about that game now. <laughs> I'm going to skip over the obvious like injury that I feel that you weren't, weren't able to play with us and that there's others out there that you would rather play a social game with. So we're going to move past that. What, uh, what are your thoughts on Spyfall? Well, I mean, when I tried to play it at Origins, my problem was I was so super self-conscious about the people that I was playing with. Um, and they had been playing the game for a little while. Like, they had already had some experience. They already had questions that they knew to ask that would give them information. And um, with new players, like, the whole group that I played with had never heard of the game before, and I introduced it. I taught it, weirdly enough. And uh, so we were all just terrible at coming up with questions and even worse at coming up with answers. So it didn't feel, and and when everybody was taking a Steve-esque amount of time to come up with things, (laughs) sorry, Steve, uh, it wasn't a big deal. Whereas I felt like at Origins when I knew that that was going to happen for me, that everybody would be like, giving me a hard time about it. So uh, it made it it made it made a whole lot easier when I could see that everybody was struggling in the same way that I was. And there were definite ones that we were more able to come up with questions for. Like when we did the school one, it took about 10 seconds for every teacher in the circle to figure out, you know, what the deal was. But yeah, um, yeah it went a lot better with less experienced players. And I think that might be kind of a, 
a flaw of the game where if you have some experienced players and one person who's just learning it for the first time, it's definitely going to be tougher for someone in that position. So all in all, I like it better. It's still not my, you know, it's not going to be a go-to game, but in that instance where, you know, it's late at night and you've been looking after 215 kids at a college campus all day, it kind of fit the bill. And, and we had a lot of fun with it. A lot of memories came from it. So, so you're ready for Gen Con. No, I still, I still don't know. I mean, with, with the right people probably, but just like, I am intimidated by people I know are good at social games. And a lot of the gamers that I tend to play with at cons fit into that category. So I don't know. I will maybe try it again. I don't want to get myself into anything that I shouldn't. So I don't know. Hey Tiff, I suck at social games. You kind of do, Dan, but... I I do. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I still think you did okay. Like when I watched you play Spyfall, you didn't suck at it too bad, except for that one answer about the sun. But um, I had it made sense. What I wanted to it made sense after I explained it. But in the moment, yeah, I sounded like a complete idiot, which is cool. I don't mind. Yeah, and maybe that's just the thing. Like you're okay with with sounding like an idiot. With sounding like an idiot, yeah, I'm okay with it completely. (laughs) If if our listeners have learned anything from this show is that Dan's okay sounding like an idiot. <laughs> I hate being wrong. I don't always. And the fun of that game comes from I being wrong. I didn't say wrong. I was wrong. It's I'm true. Just, I'm very proud of you, Tiff. You did it. Yeah, You're a little it. social butterfly. We stayed up really li- late playing it, yeah. too. So I think a lot of us enjoyed it. So, yeah. That is the biggest sell I could make for anyone to try Spyfall. You'd be like, yeah, my friend Tiff did it. And they're like, we don't know her. I'm like, yeah, but trust me. <laughs> she did it. So you yeah. can too. Any, I think anyone can play it with the right group of friends around them. It's just, you know, if you're a little bit more introverted or self-conscious, you might want to pick very wa- carefully. What else goes on at the orchestra <laughs> camp? Hmm? I mean, this is for middle schoolers, dude. I, well, you said once they go to bed. <laughs> it's the late night powwows. Well, it's funny because we we really did start playing. I can't even remember what started that off. We used to play GameCube after hours, and we would just like play Mario Kart till three in the morning and stuff like that. And then as I got into board games, it transitioned into like party games. So we used to play Cards Against Humanity was the big thing. And then when I got sick of that, we transitioned it to Cards Against Humanity plus Telestrations, which I think is a far more entertaining variant. And uh, and then Resistance and One Night Ultimate Werewolf and all those kind of like big group type of games work really well. And it it there, I'm not ashamed to admit that once or twice we've had a kid knock on the door and be like, "You guys are too loud. I'm trying to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> Come on, adults, keep it down in there. It's your it's your violin prodigy. Would you guys shut the oh, hell up? You don't even I'm- know, <laughs> like. I'm trying to practice in here. Did you guys play Naked Twister? No. You would not oh. want to see that happening <laughs> at orchestra camp. Sorry, Dan. Didn't That's mean cool. to let you down. I'm just sorry, just reliving college vicariously through you right now. Weren't you in a fraternity, Dan? You played Naked I was. Twister? That's why I said I'm I I played the fifth. <laughs> Ladies. All right. <laughs> Moving along, what have you guys been playing? 
Dan plays plays games sometimes. Um, I played Chaosmos, so that's a game I would never usually play. Uh, it is a game that was just kickstarted, I guess, maybe last year, and it just came out. Uh, it's from Mirrorbox Games, and this is a two to four player game of I don't even know how to describe it. It's basic. It's kind of like a bluffing hide and seek kind of. Keep away. I don't know. Matt can jump in. Keep away yeah. kind of game. Basically, the object is there's a card in the deck of cards that you're playing with called the Ovoid, and it looks. I'm not even gonna get into what it looks like because I know we. It have looks like something you might see during listeners. Naked Twister. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. So um, what you're doing is. There's X planets based on the number of players, and each person controls a different race. But what's interesting is each planet has this little envelope. It's a little box that kind of, like, think of a tuck box. And you distribute cards to the various tuck boxes, and then each player has a hand of up to seven cards. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to end the game with the Ovoid. And so the way you go about doing this is traversing the universe, um, putting traps in these envelopes, hiding it here and there, um, maybe hiding it in your hand. You can fight other people to look at their hands. It's just a, it's just this mishmash of all kinds of different mechanics. But it, and like I said, it's not something that I would normally go, oh man, that sounds right up my alley because it's not. But I love deduction games and bluffing games, and this has that in spades. So. I was actually really entertained by the game. We played just the base setup for this time around. Hopefully next time we can play some more advanced variants. But it really is like nothing else in my collection. And we'll be doing a review on this. So you'll get more of my thoughts once I've gotten a chance to play around with some of the more advanced variants. But I I, I kind of enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. I, I really thought it was different and unique. And it, it kept me entertained the whole time. Because I had the avoid. The game we were playing was 36 turns to keep it. So after everyone's turn, you tick down the clock. And I had the avoid in my hand for probably like 28 of those turns. And I had to just basically just bluff my way here, bluff my way there, maybe play a strategic attack here or there to kind of throw them off. It was just nuts. But it was a complete mind F the entire hour and a half we played, which was which was kind of funny. I'm curious about this game. How good of a poker face do you have to have in order to play it effectively? I'd say you'd have to have a pretty good one because there's a lot of table talk. Um, but you could get it. Like, for me, I don't have a poker face. I just kind of giggle at everything. So, like, that's the thing. Like, you don't need one. When I play Spyfall, I just always act like I'm the spy. Yeah, And eventually well, people cool become numb to it. What's cool about Chaosmos, and then I'll let Matt jump in because he played with me. What's cool about Chaosmos is you don't, it's not like straight up lying and bluffing the whole time. Like there are actual actions you can take to kind of create that fog of war, that fog of information by like, I had this one card that let me send a card to a random planet. Um, and I did that to kind of just try and throw them off. And it, it kind of worked And that. They were like, what did he just put? Because they knew I had a trap in that thing. So they're like, did he put it behind the trap? Did he not? And I actually kept it in my hand and just threw some random junk into it. But they actually had to go and search that out. So it gave me a little extra time to kind of run around and go, ha, 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 ha. Um, but I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like you said, I think that it's, it's random um, in a good way. It's got... 
it's got more control than you would think in a game like this. Um, you really can find stuff out, and, and basically each envelope corresponds to a planet, and when you get that envelope on the planet, you can look through all the cards. So you're thinking, like, oh, okay, I'm going to hide this card in the stash of 15 cards on the yellow planet. But if someone goes to the yellow planet, they get to look through all those cards. So it's not this slog of, like, okay, I need to grab... Like, oh, I grabbed the same card 12 times and I haven't learned anything new. You really do get a lot of information very quickly. So the skill is how do you hide things in plain sight? You know, how do you keep people from seeing that one card in your hand? How do you keep people from going to the orange planet where you just stashed the card and now you're like, crap, everyone's going there, you know? So it's super interesting. The the aesthetic appeal of it is super wonky. I have... I don't know if I hate it or love it. I don't know if it's charming or if it's kind of gross, um, but it's it's very sci-fi. It's very unique and individual. Some of the thematic stuff is kind of wonky. It's really a game that you play more for the gameplay than the, the kind of mood that it sets, but I enjoyed it. I'd like to try it with some more, um, some more of the variants or more of the rules because uh, I don't remember if you just mentioned this, Dan, but there's the potential to have a dark ovoid and an ovoid, and then this little card that's like a, what's it called, the cipher, um, and basically it tells you which is the real ovoid, so that, that throws a whole nother mix into it, because you could run around with the card that you think is the game-winning card, except you don't actually know if that's the game-winning card, so. Yeah, and one thing Ben mentioned, and I'll, I kind of agree with it, um, and I kind of countered with a different point, which I'll get into real quick, but, um, a lot of the actions, they're kind of, it's, you're kind of basically doing the same thing over and over. There's like a list of like four or five actions that you can take, but it's how you utilize those actions to kind of, like I said, create that deception and that path to kind of throw people off just a little bit because you're trying to tick down the clock. Um, and I, I don't know. There's, there's certain cards that can tick the clock faster. There's certain variants that can tick the clock faster, which for me personally, I think it needs a little bit because for us, the 36 turn variant or version was just a little long um but it was fun it wasn't an intolerable amount of time it was too many game turns like when the within it's too hard to keep the card secret that long so it was just a few too many turns for the win condition i would say i didn't mind the length of the game though no i i thought it was all right but i do kind of agree ben was like oh we're just kind of going doing it over and i i kind of ribbed him a little bit because it's one of his favorite games is dead of winter i was like oh you mean like move to a location draw a card roll a die move to a location roll draw a card roll a die and he goes yeah but that one's just more fun and i was like all right that's fine i mean you know to each his own that's cool but i i enjoyed it and that's saying something because i didn't know if i would or not after reading the rule book i was like ah this is just strange but a good strange it's weird and that's about the only confident thing I can say about it is it's weird in a good way, but it's chaosmos stick. It's good. That's yeah. good. Yep, that's a word. Chaosmos stick. All right. Anyways, all right, Matt, you talk another game. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely transition. Um, so what have I played? I played all kinds of stuff. Played some more Forbidden Stars. Head on over to the forums if you want to chat with me about that. Um, I played Cacao. Finally, tw- I played it twice. Don't cacao. care about cacao anymore. Glad I didn't buy it. Uh, don't find it interesting enough to own. And even after two games, I can see like, okay, I would play this if someone wanted to play this game, but I'm not bringing it to the table. 
I'm so good at cacao. Yeah, and Dan's pretty good at cacao. Well, you've played it how many times? Twelve? <laughs> Twelve times. <laughs> you times. should be good at cacao. <laughs> um, there will be a review on nonsensicalgamers.com. Solid plug. Uh, the game that I did play, though, that you guys like and that I, uh, it was on my top of the stack, I got to play Marco Polo. Yay. Polo! Marco Polo is an excellent game. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it. Have we officially talked about Marco Polo, or have we just said how much we want to play it? I don't know. No, we've talked about okay. it. Okay. Then I, I won't go into detail, other than it's dice placement, and it's good. Um, there's an incredible amount of variation in this game between the different layouts and the different cards and the dice powers or the, the what are they called? I don't know. Your big power. Player powers? Player powers. I didn't know if they had a thematic thing like you your adventurer well you're thematically like playing one of the adventures within the story yeah. so pretty awesome um surprised by how quick the game went that's what stood out to me because i was thinking it was going to be like a two hour euro or an hour and a half to two hours not that long it might have taken an hour and a half with teaching and stuff but i could easily see you cranking that game out in an hour and super interesting very tough um, on the player, you got to be super efficient to play that game, uh, and and to score, you know, to win the game. You've got to really have your engine in motion and have a game plan of what you want to do, which I appreciate. Um, Dan, just pointing out that I'm super efficient. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, see, the weird thing is that we just played a bunch of games, me, you, and Ben, and I mean, I consider you and Ben very good game opponents. Um, actually, all the people I play with are pretty good opponents, but you two in general, like, it's tough to stand out against you guys um and all the games that we played which i don't know if we're going to talk about penny press as well but all the games we played ended like within two points of each other all of our games were super tight so i appreciated uh the the balance in the game i guess you know for three competent players we all were able to do pretty well but it came down to those little tiny decisions in efficiency to kind of make marco polo a win or a a loss so i really like it um i'm glad that you own it it's one of those ones that's tempting to buy, but I don't think I need to have it as well. But it's good. It's real good. Go play it. So, yeah. So that's a little bit about what we've been playing. Um, there were a lot more games in there, but we'll get into those in another episode. And, you know, if you want to chat with us about some of the things you've been playing, go to the boards. Go to the Twitters. Go to the Facebook. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to chat about some kids and family games that are great for adults and more serious gamers. everyone we are back from our break and we are going to go into a new segment now that we are calling kids games that adults love and like the title says this is going to be a segment about games that are typically geared towards kids that adults or more serious gamers may overlook at first glance but that are actually awesome when played with fellow adults and this is born out of the infamous story of dan and tiff discovering rhino hero and contributing single-handedly to millions of sales. Truth. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. So, yeah. Uh, so if you see them at Gen Con or another convention, make sure you have your Rhino Hero, Hero for them to sign, because they're kind of the reason that you own the game now. Um, but we are going to chat about two games today, specifically from Blue Orange Publishing. 
uh, in honor of our interview with Brandon Parsons in a few minutes uh, that we really think go over well with adult audiences, um, even though they're typically geared for kids. So we are going to start with Dan, who is going to chat about... Questing for doodles. Precisely. Doodle Quest is an awesome kid-slash-family game. Uh, The game is chock-full of just laughs and just all kinds of i don't say ruckus but it's it's just this really fun game that makes you feel really bad about yourself at times Um, your spatial reasoning skills spatial reasoning skills are like oh but uh in doodle quest basically what you're trying to do is there is a puzzle that everyone's going to be looking at and each person has a transparency and a uh, washable marker and each puzzle has kind of like an objective. So draw a line through this little star or make circles around that star or something. Each puzzle has something different. And what you're going to be doing is you're going to be doing this on your transparency, only using kind of your spatial reasoning skills. You can't look, uh, you can only look at the puzzle in front of you um, while you're drawing. So, when you're done, everyone calls time when you're done and you basically take the transparency and you overlay it on the puzzle. And then you kind of tally up a score based on how well you did. And after I think five rounds, it is five or six puzzles. Everyone just, you know, high score wins. It's so simple, but it's just so fun and satisfying. Um, they have different difficulty levels of puzzle, but at the end of the day, I think an adult should be able to handle all of them (laughs) with ease but it's just the it's just the experience of doing it and kind of making fun of people's drawings and just it's such a quick and fun little game i i can't say enough good things about it um i really do love that game i feel like making fun of each other is a key part of why we love kids games (laughs) is taking easy tasks that are designed for like kids that are actually, and realizing that they're actually kind of tough. So, like, sp- the spatial reasoning puzzles, even though they're simplistic in nature, they're hard at times. They're not, they're not that easy to draw the circles or draw the hooks down into the fish's mouth, ma- uh, the fishes, the fish mouths, um, and yeah. things like that. It's not like one of those kids' games where, you know, you're going to play it and you're going to master every puzzle every time and everybody at the table is going to do that. Someone is going to mess up in a pretty major way, and that's going to be hilarious. Yeah, and to you know, we've played where you've made it a little bit harder by taking the puzzle that's in the middle of the table and like every round turning the next puzzle so that someone else has a different vantage point of that puzzle. So it kind of throws you if you're doing it upside down and then Matt's doing it facing right at it and Tiff's on the left, it's everyone's got a different perspective and it just adds that little little twist that it makes it really fun. And yeah. it's in typical blue orange amazing components the transparencies are great the markers don't dry out um at least mine haven't and i've had mine over a year uh, the puzzles are cute with quirky little artwork so it's definitely something that, like you said like we said you can play with your friends i've played it with my grown-up friends in their 30s uh, but we've also played it with you know kids which is fun so it really checks a lot of boxes for me and i'm really happy to have it 
Yeah, it's a really versatile game. I pre- you can play this with kids or separate from kids or kids only can play it. So you, there's a lot of instances where you could use it. And it's actually really fun to see the different ways different people will solve the puzzles because there are different ways to go about drawing a line through all those stars. And it's fun to see how different people think about it. Very cool. So that is number one of our two games. Now our second one, also a Blue Orange title. Tiff, what are we chatting about? We're talking about Pengaloo, which Pengaloo! <laughs> everything's Mrs. Doubtfire over here. Um, <laughs> Pengaloo is one of my favorite kids games uh, that works for adults. Basically, what it is, is you've got these 12 penguins and 12 colored eggs. You've each, there are four um, I- icebergs that everybody has, and you're trying to get six penguins on your iceberg. You do this by rolling two die that will show you colors that line up with those eggs, and then it's like a memory game. You get to pick up a penguin and see what color egg is underneath. If it matches one of the die faces, you put it on your iceberg, and you kind of go through. Um, The thing about the game that makes it really a lot of fun, I think, for adults is you can take the penguins off of other people's iceberg. So I don't have to just look under penguins that are in the middle. I can take up Dan's penguin and steal it from him. So it just kind of makes it, it's a memory game, which you would never think could be fun for adults. But if it's one of those late in the evening situations where you've been playing heavy games for hours and hours and your mind is just like all over the place, it is hilarious to watch. Or if you're drunk. Well, you know. Tiff, stop touching my penguin. (laughs) I I always think when we play it of, I always think of the little penguins from Madagascar. Like, I'm sending my penguins on this, like, operative mission. Retrieve the eggs. Stat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've played this with either one of you, but it's it's too much fun. And I, I pl- the first time I got introduced what, to it was the giant pengaloo that they use for demos and stuff. Brandon brought that to the 24-hour board gaming marathon, and we played it at I don't know how many hours into the marathon. So I couldn't remember anything, and it was... I don't know. That is just hilarious. When you are like positive, yellow has to be here, and you pick up that penguin and it's red, and you feel so dumb. Sad. It's sad. just sad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the components are beautiful. It's all wood, so it has a good feel to it and yeah. a good heft to it. So short and sweet. Those are two awesome games that are typically geared towards kids uh, that adults can have a lot of fun with. If in particular, it's late at night or you've been drinking or you have really dumb friends that you can make fun of. So those are all things that add to the nice social mixture. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions for games that you like, head over to the boards, uh, our BGG Guild number 2077, and chat more about kids' games that adults love. And maybe we'll even chat about them on the show when we bring this segment back sometime. Just a disclaimer, you don't need all dumb friends. You can have some smart ones. The That's game what Dan has me both. for. Hmm. Tell them how many games you won yesterday, Matt. Mm, one. Just one. And it was the mm. one that was the one that Dan said, this is Chaosmos. It's basically hide and go seek. I was like, sweet, I'm going to win this one. Uh, See, and that's that's another reason why those games are perfect. Like, if you have someone who's just, like, stupidly not won a game all night, this gives them that chance to feel like a winner, too. Yep, this is why I play these games, so that I can feel like a winner, too. <laughs> the the inner teacher and Tiff going, we need to make everyone feel better. Let's include everyone. Let's play Pangaloo so that Matt can get a trophy tonight. 
So we'll just change the segment to games that make you feel smart late at night or if you suck. Yeah. Okay. Games Perfect. for losers. No, no, maybe not. That doesn't have quite the ring to it that oh, okay. we're looking for. Uh, well, we are going to go ahead and take another quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to chat with the man, Brandon Parsons, from Blue Orange Games, who can tell us a little bit more about Pangaloo and uh, Doodle Quest and everything else that they have going on over there. So come on back after the break. All right, everyone, we are joined today with our special guest for this episode, Mr. Brandon Parsons from Blue Orange Games. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. Good to be here. Thanks for having Excellent. me. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to just jump right into it. Um, have some questions for you. Uh, we also reached out to some of our listeners as well, and they kind of gave us some uh, questions for you as well on the guild. So I'm just going to kind of shoot through, group them together best I can, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if this makes sense at the end. <laughs> Ready. So, um, can you just start off by telling us a little bit more about yourself and Blue Orange Games, how you got started with them, what you do for them, things like that? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess my life story is um, after college, I worked for some like parenting nonprofits in my hometown, uh, switched to uh, children focused video games in like a, a, like a startup environment. Um, Went through two of those, decided I liked games, but wanted something more um, personal, real world. So I got a job in a toy store. And then from there, I started working with Blue Orange about two years ago. Uh, and I do um, marketing and game development stuff with them. Uh, basically, I, I write some, uh, I write the rules. I help decide which games we uh, publish. Um, and then I go out and I play uh, with our community at um, conventions and local um, toy store events and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. You worked in a yeah, toy fun. store. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> I worked in uh, Marbles the Brain Store. It's a nationwide chain. Um, yeah. yeah. We have one of those here in Annapolis. Yeah, it was, it was so, great. I loved it. Every time I go to the mall, I stop in there and just like test yeah. my my yeah, Menza me my Menza fortitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool, man. So as far as Blue, Blue Orange Games, I know you just mentioned you have a little bit of decision power as far as the games you sign, things like that. So why don't we just start off with it, like, What's the philosophy of Blue Orange as far as a publisher is concerned? Yeah, um, so we are we started out with children's games and now we are more focused on family, but uh, the child is is the center of our play. Um, we want simple games that are quick to learn, so you know every member of your family can start playing in about five minutes. And we want games that are quick to play, so it doesn't take a whole evening. You can play them before or after dinner. Um, but hopefully they will also bring in uh, some of the more hobby and uh, serious gamers too because they have options. Um, so they're not like tic-tac-toe, it's like tic-tac-toe, the next level of tic-tac-toe sort of thing. So quick, sure. fun, um, people get it. I, we want games that like when you look at it and you, after watching it for a minute, you can at least understand part of it, you know. Um, yeah. Filler games, appetizer games, um, and then more recently, more into the hobby market, and we are releasing our first uh, big uh, box uh, family strategy game at Gen Con this year. So we're going um, a little bit older, but still keeping in mind um, players of all ages. Sure. Yeah, that's a great segue to some of my other questions. And that game you're speaking about is New York 1901? Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> Excellent. It's soon. It's good. Yeah, Tiff, um, is, Tiff has given it high praise. So Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I like too. 
So from you had mentioned, you know, family games that appeal to hobby gamers. So from your kind of standpoint, when you're looking at a game, what what are some of the keys that make a great family game that could also appeal to people that are a little bit more kind of advanced, I guess you say? Ooh, I love it. Um, So good (laughs) question. Um, Well, I think one of the things, like I mentioned before, is you need to understand how to play quickly. Um, so it's not there's not too many things you need to keep track of. You know the basic concept. Like I I build something on my turn, it scores points. Uh, next player's turn. Uh, but then you also need different ways to be able to win. You know, so have people to understand right away, but still feel like if they play it again, they can do something different and have a different experience. Is what I would say. Okay, well that's a good answer to me. And I know again we'll just segue here. I know a lot of us, Matt myself we love your games we play a lot of them um and they're they're also some of the best produced games that you can find on the market is that something you guys really strive for as kind of like your signature in a way uh getting like really nice quality components and just it's really pretty to look at games on the table yeah so that that's really that's really terry um terry terry daniel is um one of our founders he's the guy that invented goblet uh we released 2015 years ago now um, and he is, uh, he heads up, he decides most of the creative decisions at the company and um, components are him. He has, he's just got an eye for it. It's, it's actually one of my favorite things about working for this company is um, his skill at figuring out components. Uh, I think part of it is he used to have, I think it's still around, I forget. One of his other uh, ventures he started was a, um, a door hardware company. So just like accents for doors and stuff like great knobs. So he has he just has um, like physical materials down in a way. So like you present a game to him and he said he lets you know what they should be made out of like right away. Like um, one of our games, Wakanda, which I believe you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Originally, yep. Wakanda was a tile laying game, and then Terry saw it and he was like, no, 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 this is it's a game about totem poles. We're making totems, and then <laughs> it just became so much better with like without him even thinking about it. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like too much of a fanboy, but uh, he components is just something he does. That's great. That's cool. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a cool thing. Yeah, yeah. I used to, I used to do doorknobs, and now I do <laughs> board games. Like that's pretty, that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's one of the last things we do is like the actual components, but it is something that Terry remains very hands on with all the games is deciding that. So like New York 1901 went through uh, a whole bunch of different iterations, and on that one we had we had other help. It wasn't just Terry deciding stuff, but um. We change the colors, we change the component materials, the thickness of the cardstock, and it just, you know, yeah, it's something we think about. <laughs> cool. All right. I'll leave that. Yeah, no, I want to get into 1901 uh, in a minute, but I, I'm curious, as far as, like, a lot of the games that, you know, I own and I've seen you guys have, a lot of them seem to be sourced from European designers. Um, yep. Is this, again, is this part of the philosophy of Blue Orange Games? Is it more in line with, you, you look outside of the United States and then you license back within, or how do you guys operate with, with kind of searching out new games? Yeah, I, I, great question. So Blue Orange, there are actually um, three companies in the world called Blue Orange. We are Blue Orange USA. We're the original that started uh, in 2000. Um, we also have Blue Orange Europe, which is uh, a separate company, but they, they share a lot of our catalog and they are uh, a European and uh, international beyond North America distribution. So South America and some Asia too. Um, and then we also have Blue Orange Editions. And that is uh, uh, basically it's Terry and a few people working with Terry um, who do our game development. 
So I am on the marketing team and I, I talk to them, but the actual game development itself actually all goes through uh, France. So it, um, it's more of the nature, I think, of our company than the philosophy. Um, I see ideas from American inventors a lot, and uh, we've, we've made some of them, but the fact that our actual game development team is in France just sort of, it's easier to meet with them, you know, and that's a big part of getting your game published is playing your game with the people who are going to make it. So uh, I think I can say this confidently that every single game that was published by an American inventor by our company uh, was uh, presented at New York Toy Fair um, in February, because otherwise, you know, if you don't if you don't actually pitch your game in person, it's it's an entirely different um, experience. That's why things like Unpub are so good because you can actually they're you know it's it's playing. It's not a PDF that tells you something, and you can sure. share that internationally, but it doesn't have the same you know appeal. Yeah, it doesn't have the same presence. It's yeah, like, and a lot of your games, like I said, they. They look good and they they play well on the table, and you need to kind of experience that, I think. And and that's another thing. Um, part of our philosophy is we have a group of local families that we make sure to play every single game before we publish it. It's a group <laughs> of uh, several hundred now. They don't always show up. We shoot. We have like twenty or thirty um, on a night, but it, we always before we put it to the market, we need to make sure that kids and families actually do can play it, understand it, enjoy it. Sure. So for all of our wannabe designers out there, what you need to do is you need to accost a family and bring them <laughs> to a game night. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so the my, my tips, if you want to get a game published with us, is either go to New York Toy Fair, go to Essen in Germany, uh, Terry will be there, uh, and or go to the International Board Game Festival in Cannes, France. Those oh. are our three. That's where our, that's where our games come from. Um, we field games from other submissions, but, um, you know, they're just not as likely to uh, get made. Sure, all three of those are on my bucket list, so maybe Yeah, we'll... Essen this year, first year, I'm excited. Right? That's there awesome. Life, that's on life on, yeah. Yeah, next year, that's my goal, next year. Cool, so, hopefully me too. There. Yeah, I'll think? see you there, we'll do, a, we'll have a schnitzel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, so, you had kind of touched on it briefly in your description of kind of the new philosophy of Blue Orange Games. And so I think the three of us have noticed that you're going a little bit more towards kind of light tactical and strategy games. You've got a few of them coming out. You've got Dragon Run. Uh, you had Wakanda, which is a lighter game. Um, what is it? Attila. A few, a few games coming out. And then obviously New York 1901. So is that, I guess from your standpoint in the marketing area, is that something that was planned are you looking to reach into this market more have you seen signs that look blue orange games while still family friendly needs to kind of maybe appeal a little bit more to the older kids in that family or something along those lines yeah absolutely that's definitely part of it um i think part of it too is just uh you know you need to uh, expand it there's different ways you can do it in the market like uh, some people do uh our competitors will go more into toys and like calendars and stickers and stuff. Um, and as we uh, became um, more known for games like Goblet and Spot and Pangolin, we, uh, we started to um, decide what the next uh, area is. And the uh, hobby gaming, convention gaming seemed um, like the smart thing to do because I think there is overlap. You know, we do have 
we're children's games, but we're also filler games, you know? So there is, we serve multiple purposes. Uh, I mean, I know I, I play our games all the time in, in, in bars and adult settings. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I, I consider myself a hobby game writer. I play more stacky games than uh, Euro games, but um, I still, I still am a, Oh, I think I'm a member, right? Um, <laughs> totally, totally. We welcome you. We welcome you. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, it, the hobby, the hobby market is the next step. Um, but part of our uh, original founding philosophy was um, a a real world connection with people. Like uh, one of the things we did to start out was this uh, road trip where the other founder, so Terry is one founder, uh, Julian Mayo is the other founder, and he was he's like the sales the the uh, execution side of stuff, where he actually went on a road trip across the country, visited stores, got orders in person, and we still do that every year. So we want to, we want to have a real-world physical presence in stores, and that's what hobby stores do. They have that, and so it's part of our philosophy there, where you know you can have invite, you can just invite people in to play. You don't need to know how I play our games. That's the other thing. Like uh, hobby stores can show us off, and newcomers are welcomed in because. From my own experience, some of the hobby stores I've been in have not been very welcoming. A lot of the dive boxes are bigger and they're, oh, I got to learn this for 30 minutes, so I feel uncomfortable asking questions. Um, that's actually one of the things, I, like at Marbles, is, is the opposite of that. Marbles, they, they really want you to uh, talk to people and get them playing right away and understand the game. And I think that's a great way of doing it. That's how, that's how I want to do it, is get people you know, uh, on board and understanding as, as, as soon as possible. Um, I just rambled a lot. Uh, oh, that's okay. Don't worry. It'll Fine. sound great in post. Yeah. Sweet. That's sound wonderful. Um, and you, you, you keep segueing for me. This is great. So as Perfect. I was kind of doing my, my, my prep for the interview, I was reading over the, the website, and it talks about that, that kind of uh, journey or voyage that you guys take on a yearly basis. And it yeah. had some stats like, 2,000 visits to your stores in over like 46 or 47 of the states. So can you kind of like elaborate on that? I mean, that seems pretty unique from, I mean, I'm yes. not huge into the publishing side of things, but for a company to kind of go out and actually get themselves on the ground in the stores and and do it on their kind of dime, it's that's pretty unique and cool. Absolutely. the And that's the sales team. Uh, and they have my utmost respect. They they do amazing work. At any given time, there's like three or four guys on the road, just like in, in the Midwest uh, and Southeast. There, we try to touch every store that sells our game. If they want to speak to us, we will talk to them in person every year. Uh, it's, it's just awesome. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I spend most of the time in the office uh, when I'm not traveling to cons. Um, but yeah, some of these guys will spend like half a year just traveling. It's fine. I was going to say, you you have no shortage of travel either, it seems, just from kind of bumping into you all over the place throughout the yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> we're a traveling company. It's cool. I like yeah. it. Yeah, that's got to be a nice perk, definitely, yeah. for sure. Um, okay, so why don't we touch on, and, and again, we keep alluding to it, but New York 1901. So this is your new kind of hobby game. Yes. It's yeah. your big box. It's really pretty. Um, I've heard it's got familiarity with games like on the level of like a ticket to ride maybe a yep. little bit more than that so can it give us the elevator pitch for new york 1901 all right i think i've done this before <laughs> uh so new york 1901 is a two to four player strategy game where you are building skyscrapers in new york city to score points 
Um, it is a family plus strategy game, so it is uh, like Ticket to Ride. That's the biggest example in the marketplace right now, where it will be uh, great for families, uh, have a little bit more meat. It's a gateway game is another word that pops up a lot. We try to avoid that because we're a children's company, and, and a gateway game reminds some of us a little bit too much of gateway drug. Uh, so it's, it's got this negative thing that I just... I'm one of them. I just can't shake it. I hate the term. I hate the term. I hate that, and I hate Ameritrash. Um, those are my two. Okay, I, should... I like this guy. No, <laughs> no, keep going. We have this discussion frequently. Um, so, yeah, so New York 1901 is a skyscraper building game where you are building skyscrapers in New York City. There's an open marketplace like Ticket to Ride, so you have uh, face-up cards you can choose from each turn, and that's going to affect which territory you can claim again. Like Ticket Thread. I don't want to keep saying that game name because it has other elements too, uh, but it's just the most familiar one on the marketplace right now. And a lot of people have been saying it's like the next step up, or you know, it's side by side with that where you can introduce people to a media game, um, segue them from some of our standard fare to uh, the more in-depth games. Um, so yeah, it's got uh, it's a new it's a first time game designer Shinye Lasalle. He's gonna be at Gen Con. He's gonna be signing games. He's gonna uh, be doing some interviews. Uh, he's gonna be meeting and greeting. He's new, um, and then also Vincent Dutre, the artist, will be alongside him. And he, uh -oh, he is awesome. I mean, we've got three games from him now. Um, this is our third newest one, and everyone he does is just uh, so beautiful. And he does it by hand. That's what I learned uh, from this project. Every single art asset he does is by hand and i don't i don't know i don't know anybody else who that's why i don't i don't know they do. no one else has mentioned that they work everything by hand i love so him even gets, more now that's yeah, his awesome. favorite artist I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him he's uh he's on my list for gen con i think it's gonna be easy he's gonna be <laughs> great you should have a, a little bit of an in yeah i think so <laughs> crossing my fingers i've already got a signed poster from him too so it's it's looking good it's looking good that's awesome yeah he's he did the art for the other one that I'm very excited about, which is Discoveries, the Lewis and Clark oh, cool. game. Yeah, so I know Tiff. Tiff kind of fawns over him, so we'll have <laughs> to keep. We'll have to keep. Kind of in an unhealthy away. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he and um, Stefan Escapa also. I, I love him working with him. He's more on our children's side, but he did. I think every. I want to say every single children's game we put out this year was him. He did our smaller box color clash. He just got has a. He's got a great. I love the artists we work with too. It's a, it's a privilege. So uh, again, you mentioned children's games, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask and answer as much as you can, and or not. Um, oh, favorite question. Spot it. Oh, my least favorite question. Oh, least favorite <laughs> sorry, question. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, I'm just curious. It was recently announced that Spot It was sold to Asmo Day, the rights at least, and sure. I know this has kind of been a little tug of war in the making, but from a public perspective i think this was kind of and one of our listeners mentioned this this is one of your most recognizable games i think sure. was spot it and all its various iterations with disney etc so can you kind of give us an idea of the the decisioning behind letting such a, a hot commodity go is was it just a business thing or you really are just kind of fully shifting into this kind of more light tactical gaming i'm not sure so anything you can offer i mean it would be great Sure. Uh, I will start out by saying it is above my pay grade, so I don't I don't know the That's details. Fair. That's fair. Um, what I do know is, uh, no, we are not shifting. Um, what we want to focus on is um, 
specialty stores across the country. This is toy stores and hobby stores. This is really where we think our strength is, is creating games, playing games with people, getting new games on the market. Um, so with, with Spot It, um, it was great. I love Spot It. We're going to continue to support Spot It. Um, but it became a different type of game than the rest of our catalog. It became more mass market. It became uh, more mainstream. And the, the the publisher that bought it, Asmodee, is huge. They are they're one of the, I think they're the third largest uh, publisher. So like once it reached that that level, um, I know that part of this decision was that we felt that we could um, uh, use our time better by serving smaller games to get like to get the next spot. We want to make the next spot it now. We want to build up a game, a new game. Um, so no, we're not switching. Um, oh, we're looking to the future. <laughs> uh, that's fair. We'll <laughs> yeah, that's no fair. I mean, that's a fair answer. I, I didn't think it was something you could probably go into too depth uh, in too much depth, but it, it is an interesting business decision that I wonder about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whole publishing side is not is not my strength. I am the play side. I I don't I don't have any uh, influence in like the actual contracts of stuff. I just play stuff, say if I think it's fun, and then I play it with more people. And um, yeah, that so I think seems like fun. the good side. <laughs> yeah, I get the I get the good side. Um, and yeah, I, I know more updates will come. Uh, nothing's changing until the start of the next year. And I know there will be an official like announcement of um, ownership and whatever business, business, business. Um, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure Asmodee is going to buy China at some point. Uh, uh, they're just going <laughs> to. They are they? Yeah, uh, they're a great company. Yeah, no, I, nothing bad to say about them. It's just one of those things. It's just like they're doing what again? Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take that to be. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, I don't want to hog the, the spotlight. Do you guys have any questions? Uh, do you want to just keep rolling? No, I don't have anything specific. Um, I was just, you know, listening to you talk. Brandon, you're a great interview. First off, this is awesome. I'm learning a lot about Blue Orange Games. Um, I just like the idea that Blue Orange is like a company that you as a family can grow up with. Like this transition towards 1901 and these like meteor games means that you've got something to play from Blue Orange from the time your kids are little all the way up until they, you know, they progress and, and grow with the family, with the games. So it's it's interesting, because um, I know we play all kinds of games. I've got blue-orange games on my shelf, but they don't always hit home because I don't have kids, you know. So it's like when I'm playing high-strategy high games and then we take a break and play a blue-orange, that works, but we're not going to be breaking out Wakanda for like 10 sessions in a row. But I like the idea of keeping it on my shelf because when I have a family, which hopefully will start at some point, you know, it'll be a go-to game at that point, and it'll be something that I can keep on the shelf for that reason. So that was just my commentary as I'm I'm listening to you guys talk. Yeah, was, excellent. I mean, that is that's exactly what we're trying to do. So great. We're glad to hear that. Yeah. I always love hearing positive voice. That was that was really touching, Matt. Thank you. Thank, yeah, I, it felt like a little bit too much <laughs> of a like moment. Like a tear in my eye. And I was right like, now. I need to. I know. Need Seriously, to hurry this I up and get out of it. I'm getting emotional okay. over here. <laughs> continue. This is this is too much. Um, okay. Anyways, so now that we're all kind of getting that out, that was like watching like fried green tomatoes. Um, <laughs> I was but, thinking sisterhood <laughs> of the traveling pants. I, no, those girls had one pair of pants. That's just weird. Which one but, of you is Jessica Tandy? 
I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen fried green tomatoes? You've taken our joke too far. I have. But That's I what I do. Yeah. See, right. Brandon, we rambled too. Don't worry. <laughs> great, great. Um, all right. So, again, uh, don't want to keep it too long. We appreciate your comment. So, why don't we just kind of close things out with some of kind of Blue Orange's new offerings. Uh, Gen Con, obviously, is coming up. You've got New York 1901, which is awesome. I can't wait to try it. Tiff keeps hogging the copy. Um, but hopefully I'll get it. for the kids. That's fine. Brandon, will you, will you demo it with me when I come to Gen Con? I'm absolutely. I'd there we it. go. Done. Tiff, I want to play dead. it, too. <laughs> I won't be there. I could just bring it with me. We, I, I do want to uh, put in there that we will be uh, demoing it all convention long in the event hall, I think is what it's called. Okay. This is a new thing for us. We're going to be in the exhibitor hall and the, I, I call it the play zone, but I know that's not what they call it. The tape, the zone with all the tables and people playing and not selling games. There'll be New York uh, until, you know, people go to sleep. Cool. Uh, learn how to play. And then um, twice a day, there will be uh, tournaments where you win a copy if you. Oh, cool. And right now, they're, it's, uh, they're pretty small. You have a good chance. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look at that yeah. right now. <laughs> so, is there anything else um, uh, new or newer that is? I think yeah, Dragon Run was that one that's Dragon more Run. recently. Yep, Dragon Run is one of the ones I'm most excited about. Uh, it's another Bruno Cathala Vincent Dutre. That's the second game um, from that uh, illustrator. Uh, it came out last year in uh, Essen, uh, so it's you know it's not new, but it's new to the states. Um, so this is the English version, uh, the original is French, um, and this is a push your luck uh, card game. Um, it's actually, uh, very similar to Yellow's, uh, Welcome to the Dungeon, the exact same spirit. Um, I, I've been playing them a lot because I want to get an opinion about, um, I want to be able to discuss the differences, you know, at Gen Con when I'm yeah. sure the questions come up. Uh, I think what I would say is... With, as with most of our games, uh, Dragon Run is the lighter version um, of Welcome to the Dungeon, which I think you guys you guys played that, right? I think yeah. I yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that game. Uh, it's one of my favorites from this year. Um, and Dragon Run is a similar but more... Um, uh, just a, a lighter, I guess. I don't know. Uh, my own, the, the problem I have when I teach uh, Welcome to the Dungeon is the underlying concept of it i haven't come up with a phrase for what are you doing you are bidding on whether or not someone dies is that is that, that the is that the objective kind of no. yeah because we 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 can take apparently we haven't come up with that either are we are we gods that are looking down on mortals and like casting our votes or are we the adventurers themselves that is a great question <laughs> because I, I play with a lot of people who are uh, light or non-gamers. Yeah. That's my main audience. So when I bring these games out, I need I need one sentence. Boom. Yeah. Hey, we're playing a game about stacking cards. Don't let the rhino fall. Um, or, hey, we're playing a matching card game. There's one match between two cards. So people can... That's my pitch voice, too. That's yeah. good. You haven't heard it before. <laughs> um, so I don't know what it is in that. Um but Dragon Run is a great game, and you are trying to get as much gold as you can. <laughs> Good transition. As much gold as you can without being burned alive by the dragon. And it's the same thing, push your luck, uh, fantasy-themed um, card game. But look at how and easily you can explain it. 
Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, yeah, so it's the next one from the same guys that did Longhorn, which is my favorite from yeah. last year. I, I'm, I love that game. Yeah. Um, and it was an excuse to Bruno Cathala, so that is another life yeah. uncheck. Uh, yeah. um, Jealous. Hey, oh, man. we even talked. Oh, my <laughs> um, but uh, the other ones, too, we got some... Uh, the other thing I'm excited about in our... We're calling the Europe collection um, from our, our Blue Orange Europe and um, some of their uh, friends in publishing over there. And their other friend is um, BlackRock Editions, and they're great. I, uh, I met them a couple years ago. They have a very similar philosophy to us, where small box, quick to understand, quick to play, uh, but replay value. And um, a lot of them also have... Um, additional ways to play, which is another thing I forgot to mention, but we love that. Variations, so that you can play the same game, or the same components a different way. Brave Reds. So, yeah, Brave Reds. <laughs> hey, Brave Reds. Has about 12 um, variants. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, I, we also are now um, distributing in limited uh, quantities the Japanese art version. We've yep. been selling it at conventions, but we're also opening it up to uh, hobby stores this year. And that one has 26 ways of playing. Wow. Seiji Kai uh, likes to make games. Uh, our store, crazy. our local store, Dan and I, is like a huge Blue Orange supporter, and they have that alternate art version. I didn't Excellent. know it had so many other ways to play, though. Mm-hmm. Now I have to they're, consider this. They're interesting. Yeah. And it's also got a quick little note from Kanai uh, that basically says, uh, "We, I do not encourage you to use this game as a gambling device. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could gamble. But yeah, that suggests that you might be able to. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but BlackRock... Uh, we are going to be releasing several of their games in the future. Uh, the first one we did was Armadora, which I had limited quantities at Gen Con last year, but now we have a full distribution this year. Uh, Prohees, which we uh, demoed at, we sold a little bit of at Origins. And then next year is The Boss. And that's the one that personally I'm the most excited about. It's been out for, I think, five years now in Europe, but has not well, other than being shipped in, has not been distributed here, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's great. It's a it's a bluffing deduction game, and it's it's um, inspired by American history. Uh, it's all the art is based on um, popular uh, mobsters from popular culture, uh, not popular mobsters, mobsters from popular. <laughs> and it is also obviously a little bit more adult than uh, some of our our, our children's fare of like. Penguins that stack on top of each other, or elephants that stack on top of each other. I should know my own games. Elephants that stack on top of each other, and penguins that cover eggs. So now we have, like, Longhorn was the first one, and we weren't sure, sure about that, actually, because uh, it is much more adult-themed uh, with guns and desperados. But the, the response was fine, especially since we aren't, um, we're not pushing them to our toy stores as much. That is a hobby store-focused item. Um, so the boss next year, I, I, I think that... We're either doing Origins or Gen Con, and that's, um, I'm really stoked. That's probably the game that we enjoy playing the most in the company. Um, Prohees is up there, too. Uh, and then Wink is the other one. And Wink is new this year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Wink is, oh, my God, Wink is so awkward. Um, <laughs> Tiff's favorite game. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> it, it's a it game just, about it's... making eye contact with other people. It's, yeah. the, it's hard uh-huh. for me. Yeah. It's a perfect fit for the Hollywood world. Um, I watched a family play that, and it was wild. I just stared. They didn't know I was watching, but I was watching them play. <laughs> just... Yeah, it can be really good. It's definitely awkward. It, it, it's a lot of nervous laughter, 
Um, but I think, I'm, no, I'm confident I enjoy playing it. <laughs> I, and that's one of the ones I do bring out to bars. Uh, if you get a group, depending on the bar, but if you get a table, it's a great um, awkward drinking game. Yeah. Solid. That's, but a, we do that's not a new genre play. that was just created. <laughs> awkward drinking awkward games. Awkward drinking games, yeah. All right, so my, my last one, as far as your new releases, and you said you like to compare games. So I'm curious. I do. From my standpoint, what is the difference between Sushi Draft and Sushi Go? Ah. How, how have you learned to kind of uh, pitch this one? This is the comment that's gotten the most thumbs up on my Board Game Geek profile. <laughs> I so skillfully answered it. <laughs> so um, basically the idea is Sushi Draft is a more streamlined drafting game. Um, the person with the most sushi gets points. It's as simple as that. Um, sushi Go is just, just a fraction more complicated because there's some things that you need sets of, you know, there's some things you don't want. Um, there's more things to think about. Um, actually, because you mentioned I like comparing games so much, the other, uh, it's not, it's it's more exaggerated in this one, but the other one I do a lot is um, our new game, or BlackRock's game, Pro He's to Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham is much, well, not much, significantly more complicated than Pro He's, but they're both um, bluffing games where you're trying to uh, pass illegal cargo without getting detected. And Sushi Go and Sushi Draft is the same, same idea um, where uh, Sushi Go, uh, has more things to think about. I don't know if that means more replay value. Um, for me, I like the simple games. I can I can teach Sushi Draft faster than I can teach Sushi Go, just because I don't need to have as many if statements or you know I can just get it done. There are advanced ways of playing, but to be honest, I if I'm going to play advanced ways of playing Sushi Draft, I'm I'm going to switch to Sushi Go. <laughs> uh, but it is it's um. It is more in keeping with our catalog. We had already uh, decided to publish Sushi Draft when I saw Sushi Go at the New York Toy Fair. And at first I was very concerned because it was already underway on our end. Um, and this was obviously on the market and I didn't know Sushi Go at that point. Um, I've just become familiar with Kickstarter games in the past like year and a half. I know it's I'm, I'm slow, but I'm getting there. Um, so I was concerned. As I play it more, I have become less concerned. I mean, partly because I just have to be, but also because it, they are they are fundamentally different in um, the level engagement. They uh, sushi draft is just you can just play it a little a little less engaged. That doesn't sound good, um, <laughs> but that's that's basically the truth. You don't need to. You can be drinking. It's a beer and pretzels game. You've been drinking a, a beer or or eating a pretzel and playing Sushi Draft easier than a Sushi Go. And the other thing that adds to this is, and this is a big, I don't want to say it's a pet peeve, but it's something that I think about a lot, and it's unnecessary components, or trying to get the components um, as minimal and as effective as possible. Because Sushi Go, you need a pen and paper, and that really bums me out when the game tells me I need a pen and paper. Um, unless that's the whole point of the game, like a uh, telephone dictionary or something. Um, but if I need to keep track of score, magic's like that. I love magic, but it bums me out. And it's part of the reason I don't play magic as often as I should, because I need, I need, I need more. Uh, and Sushi Draft has the scoring chips and you can just 
you keep track based on the chips in front of you. And that's just, you know, one of those board game designs that makes it easier. Yeah. It's a subtle touch, but it makes a difference, you know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. I think it, it has its market. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. I can say the board game club kids get really confused with Sushi Go and the scoring and how that works. So mm-hmm. if Sushi Draft takes some of that complication away, that might be one I look at. Yeah. My only complaint with Sushi Draft is, uh, yeah, like I like to, I like to, I like to have a critical eye in my games. <laughs> cool. um, my complaint with Sushi Draft is we, and it's something we talk about a lot at the company, is the Circle Tin versus the non-Circle Tin. Should this game be a Circle Tin or should it be a non-Circle Tin? And I think um, Sushi Draft should have been a Circle Tin. And it turned into a non-circle tin. Um, the cards are circle. The scoring chips are circle. People know us for circle tins. Let's make it a circle tin. <laughs> but also, we don't want to make one thing. And and I, I think that gets back to Spot It again, where one of the things that annoyed me the most about Spot It in my own professional uh, career was somebody coming up to me and saying, oh, you're Spot It. You know, uh, like, I love Spot It. Spot It is probably a, a big portion of the reason why I originally started working for Blue Orange. But I don't like, and we don't like, that being our one thing. I, I understand why we didn't make a Circle Tin for Sushi Draft, because we don't want to be the Circle Tin company. Um, that's not much better than being a Spot It company. And I, I think it does work uh, because they stack. We are trying to make all of our non-Circle Tins stackable. Mm-hmm. which is uh, a complaint that some people have about tins, and we are trying to make at least, like, so Nia, Sushi Draft, Attila, King's Gold, I think there's one, was it's, um, all same rectangle tin. Stacking but, is good for us OCD gamers that have to have that perfect shelf. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the one of the things that I complained about. I complained about a lot when I first got here, because I complained. Um, but uh, that was one of the things, like, uh, you got to stack, you know. Um, we had made some interesting tin shapes in the past. Um, most of them are not popular enough for you to know about, uh, but there are some interesting blue orange tins out there on the market. I encourage you to go find. If this sounds like now, I'm like curious. It's like a hipster game challenge. <laughs> yeah. Now we're into hipster box shapes. Bye, guys. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> a little bit of um, Blue Orange trivia uh, is the game that uh, lasted the least amount of time in our catalog. Ooh, what got discontinued the fastest? <laughs> Any guesses? I have no idea. All right, I'll guess. No, I don't have an answer. Uh, <laughs> the, the answer is uh, Peak Poker. Go find that one. That, that's a challenge. Three well, days really last. Internet makes things unfair. Go find that in the real world. Don't. don't. <laughs> Go do something with your life, Tiff. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is this is another thing that I have a, a personal opinion about, and it's it's the internet. I mean, it's a great it's a great service, and you can get games cheaper. But I think that people involved in this hobby should be supporting the hobby. And the best way to support the hobby is to shop local and keep your communities and the people that we actually, you know, have a face-to-face business with in, in operation. Right so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to discourage people from shopping online, but... But you are anyway. 
<laughs> shop local. Your friendly local game store has an abbreviation for a reason. Because they're friendly. And they like it. That's true. It's just like produce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shop local like, with your vegetables and your board games. I like to go get my vegetables at the market. So why not stop and get a board game too? I feel the same way about beer. I only drink local when I travel. Fair enough. You should too. You I do too. I'm right where where that I right there with you, dude. All right. So, um, why don't we just round this out? Do you want to um, go ahead and plug anything, either personally, professionally, whatever, um, romantically? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies. Ladies. Um, I'll be at Gen Con all week long. No. That's, um, this is the first year that we're in the event hall and it's something new for us. And I, I hope that does turn out well because uh, organized play is not something that any of us really have experience with. Uh, we're great at talking with stores, but the whole community side, uh, like organized play side of stuff is is, is pretty new. So I hope that the, the New York tournament goes well. Um, there's only five of them. Uh, so, but hopefully that's, that's going to be good because yeah, I mean, I, I think that will be a cool opportunity, and I hope that um, we can spread word about it, I guess, is my main concern. Um, because I've done a lot of my my past experience, actually, is events. So when I was working for parenting nonprofits, I was doing events. When I was working for video games, I was doing events. And um, it's something new for me. I've never, I've never done this side, and I know that there's a lot of uh, moving parts. I've done, I've done tournaments at KublaCon, my local uh, one, but that's like, you know... You do a tournament and four people show up and it's like, yay! And this one is, Gen Con's, I think, bigger than that, right? That's what I've heard. A little bit. A little bigger. bit more than four yeah. to be a success at Gen Con. Um, but also, I mean, I'm looking forward to a lot of stuff. Oh, one of the things I think that you guys first alerted me to is the giant rhino hero. Oh, yeah. Uh, How about we'll yeah, have that yeah. there? That's awesome. And I saw later that uh, Eric Martin had... Um, Put a poster up, uh, or not a picture up of. I guess it's retail. No. Which is great. Yeah, it's in Japan. A company in Japan makes it. It's not here yet. They're not selling it at Gen Con, but there is a company in the world that makes it to sell, and that's crazy. We we make a bunch of giant games, but we do not sell them, and it is a pain for me to shoot people down every time they ask because they ask because they're awesome, but we can't sell them because well I don't know business reasons, um, but. And just financial reasons. The cost would be more than people really want to play for a giant wooden game. But Giant Rhino Hero is coming. It's, right. it's out there in the world. And that makes me very happy. Yeah. I love giant games. I want Giant Pengaloo really badly. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I just, I just don't think, I've given up. It was a goal of mine when I started out there to make Giant Pengaloo. Let's uh, reinvigorate but... that, Brandon. Please. Yeah, what do we need to do to get you plan? to make giant pangaloo? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's plastic because part of I think the appeal of it is wood, and the yeah. cost of giant wood is just oh my god, you don't want that. You really don't. Yeah. I mean, we would need to. I don't even know how many we'd need to make several thousand to push the cost below a uh, hundred. And um, I know some companies can make the hundred plus value games but for now we are known as like 10 to 25 sure and new york new york's a step in the right direction that's halfway to a minimum target price so we really need to push that new york 1901 yeah. got it 
Yeah. Check. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. If here, if if New York 1901 goes well, I will reinvigorate my dedication to making time. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, as always, Brandon, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a real fun talk, actually. Excellent. To, uh, little learn a little bit about Blue Orange yourself and all that is good in board gaming. So, if people yeah. wanted to find you on Twitter or <laughs> Facebook or BGG, <laughs> is there is there a way yes, to find you? BGG. Yes, I do that. Um, okay. I, uh, as might be a theme in the things I've said, I believe in real world experience and I am awful at all things internet. Uh, email is not a strength. Um, <laughs> Twitter is not so good. Uh, Facebook is basically, I think I posted something three years ago, maybe? Um, so the best way of finding me is, uh, in the real world at conventions, cause I try to go to as many as I can. I'm going to try to go to more next year. Um, the next year, the ones I'm trying to expand to are, uh, BGG con and dice tower. And it's kind of a shame we're not there this year. Um, but, uh, that's the best way I am on board game geek. Uh, I'm just as good at board game geek as I am other internet, uh, communications, but I'm more interested in it. So I do it just a little bit more often. Um, and my username, wow, I just stay logged in. I believe my username is Brand Daniel. Uh, That's right. I spell my name a weird hippie way because my mother believed in numerology and my numbers align positively with my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> straight face. Uh, so yeah, Brand Daniel, I, I'm on there. I, the main thing I want to talk about on there is like, uh, is like rules for games, uh, ideas for how to, uh, variations. If you have variations, um, I would love to talk about them. Uh, I want to, one of the things I want to do is in the coming years is I want to start, uh, one, a volunteer community where we can uh, have even more presence at events around the world. Like Yellow does that and there's other companies that do a great job at that. I want to do that. Um, another underutilized thing that I want to improve in the future is our blog. We have a blog. Um, we don't. We, we post on there a few times. It's mostly our store of the month. We do a store of the month that I always, that we uh, appreciate how they you know are supporting our games. We think there's something to learn from them. But I also want to start putting on um, like fan-made variations on there. You know, like um, I wish I wish I could be more. Uh, I wish I could share more about the cool side of game development, you know, and just like the legal side, like brings that down. Like I can't, I can't share pictures of prototypes. That bums me out. I can't, you know, share rules for games before they're published. And that bums me out. But what I can do is I can share user variations. You know, uh, that's not a good word for it, but you know, what I'm talking about uh, fan-made uh, variations of play. And there's, uh, I think there's a bunch of them out there. I love house rules. And as a company, we support house rules because that's, you know, a real world family. Uh, it, it's everything that we love about games. Play another way, play your way. Um, and I want to start getting those on the blog and uh, Board Game Geek. If you have them on there, share them on the forums. And the more I have, the more likely I can uh, make that a reality. Cool. Well, uh, again, thanks for joining us, and hopefully we'll see you at the conventions this fall, or yeah. summer, yeah. fall. Or in a week. Or in see a week. See you in a week, Brandon. Yeah, see, see you week. next week. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, cool. Bye. All right, everyone, so that is a wrap on episode 26 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you all for joining us. If you want to reach out to us, 
You can always hit us up on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can join us on our guild, number 2077, on BGG. Or, if you want to talk to us directly, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Tiff, if they want to find you, how do they do that? I am at IneptGamer. And Dan? Uh, at League Nonsense for the League's account, which I run, and at Scandalous underscore Nad if you want to get a little personal. Ooh, a little personal. And you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. So for now... Like, like Naked Twister personal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Left hand blue, Dan. Left hand blue. <laughs> All right, everyone. Bye-bye. That's not blue. That's not blue. <laughs> Toodles. Bye. Bye.